So thanks to everybody who took the time out of to hear about uh, women in Irish language historical novels, focusing in particular on historical novels written in the Irish language with the last 20 years. I've been researching Irish language historical fiction for the last three and a half years and having delved into this genre, the odd conflict between writing fiction and historical research is fascinating. Literature uses metaphor, symbolism and above all the imagination. History is seen as linear and transparent in the accounting of facts. Literature plays with words. However, fiction with its use of metaphor and style can create a new way of writing history down, making it vivid, emotional, sensual and psychological. Irish language historical fiction is even more enthralling. The majority of historical novels written about Irish history are written mostly in English. Yet I feel that historical novels written in the Irish language are far more accurate in their retelling of history because we must remember that Irish was the dominant language for the saints, scholars, soldiers, rebels, poets and writers uh, prior to 100 years ago. They wrote in Irish, they spoke Irish to each other on the streets, they fought Irish on battlefields and even whispered sweet nothings in Irish in bed to each other. Therefore, if I may say, historical novels in the Irish language are a key gateway to really understanding the past of our country. However, I'm not here to talk about the benefits of the Irish language because I do enough of that in my classes. So I decided to pick a topic that gets me as equally worked up. Shanish Gael agus Merrick Ersh, as we say, an old story with rust on it. And this can very much be applied to that of the question and role of women in literature. Yet interestingly enough, it is a relatively new question being posed within the genre of Irish language historical novels that have been written since 1993. In the last 20 years, there's been very little extensive research done regarding the role of women in historical novels. Maybe it was no, nobody was brave enough, or else I find myself asking, maybe nobody was stupid enough. I will briefly speak about the different genres that lean in particular towards men and women, about the different feminine natures that can be found in the female characters, and I will take some examples from different novels. So on that note, on the paper in front of you is the list of novels written since 1993. I will read them, but I'm not going to translate them. The translations are in brackets. But just so that you can hear the phonetics of the books that I will be referring to, um, it will make it a lot easier. Kjol and Fibre, Avan Og Own, Crown Smolle, Koga Agus Kahu, Fantanoi, Or Igor Chomarua, Unclearach, Holahol, Doyeg Shaska AD, Lucinda Sly, Unlither Agashkale, Garod Irla. I will focus today in particular on 1260 AD, I will only be focusing on five tonight, as I'm sure you'd all like to get home before the weekend. Historical fiction expert Jerome de Groot analyzes the subgenres that are particularly masculine and those that are more feminine across the board in all creative fiction. And it is evident that the same classifications can be observed in modern Irish language historical fiction. De Groot identifies that warfare and action subgenres are directed more towards a male audience. And I quote, he says, what is immediately striking is that historical fiction for men tends to be more based in adventure and concerned mainly with warfare. The series of novels by Frederick Marriott, G.A. Henty, C.S. Forrester, Richard Woodman, Bernard Cornwell, Patrick O'Brien, Simon Scarrow and Dudley Pope all consider the careers of soldiers and sailors and their participation in combat. 
These novels present a set of possible masculinities within a relatively conservative nationalistic narrative. Their models of heroism are largely straightforward, dutiful and resourceful. For the most part, the same could be said about Irish language historical fiction. Traits of masculinity are very much to the fore in the novels in the list on Fardona, Fontenoy and on Clareach. Another contribution that adds to the masculine dominance in these novels is that most of the main characters are men. A bit like the Oscars, actually. Um, another interesting point of information is that the novel Fontenoy, um, there is absolutely no mention um, at all of any female character. The, the pronoun she isn't used once. Not only are these main characters men, but each male character holds a particular status, irrelevant of which societal class from which they come. There are monks in the works of O'Connell, those being Owen O'Neill and A. McCoffwell. Other male characters present themselves as detectives, sergeants, school teachers, and poets, all men. The work of these men is important, and as I previously mentioned, they hold some status. With Sergeant O'Rahilly, who's directing the, Dill the Dillard Regiment at the Battle of Fontenoy, Detective William Waters cracking crime cases, Brother Owen trying to save the Kingdom of Dungannon, and Matt O'Dolig is leader of the IRA in, character in Kerry. Each character has an important role. Each character is a man. And again, I quote De Groot, male historical novels articulate a masculinity that may be marginalised by class, but it is still very much articulate, with some agency and means by self-expression. Whilst a soldier may be constrained by the rules of the army, these novels do not consider the lot of men to be so bad. And indeed, their enhanced physical and social mobility is in clear contrast to the women in female romance novels. Amongst the list of novels that have been written between 1993 and 2013, there is only one female author. And therein lies another issue. For male writers of historical narrative, men have been the obvious leading characters with a self-evident right to take centre stage and male mastery over history both as agent and as, historic, and as historians has rarely been questioned. For women writers of historical narrative, these things are not at all obvious. Before taking up a particular historical topic, I imagine that women writers must ask themselves, why am I doing this? What purpose will be served by entering the historical domain? Possible answers for me to such a question might include proving that one can do history as well as a man, wanting to tell an untold story, exposing historical injustice, uh, undermining inherited plots regarding women, imagining a past which women were not oppressed, imagining women who could succeed in a man's world, and so forth. In each case, women writers are positioning themselves in response to the dominant male narratives of history, instead of just being a part of it, which is the privilege of male writers. However, this is not to be seen. The only female author on our list is Maura Vachanty, who wrote two novels, Van Og Own and Schkele Gerod Irle. The title of Van Og Own, which translates to this, one young, this young woman, may lead us to believe that maybe, just maybe, a female character would make a lead appearance. But unfortunately, that is not the case. It is the poet Pierce Ferreter, another high-status character, who is the protagonist. The muse for his poetry is Meg Russell, this young woman of the book's title. 
Meg is married, but is far from a happy marriage, and she turns to the poet Pierce to save her. Meg's husband is verbally abusive to her, and she tells Pierce of some things he says to her. For example, and they would have been in Irish and in English on the PowerPoint, so I'm just going to say them in Irish first and then translate them. So she says, Der Sheshen Gugurum Kasagana Er, found Erlekan Gurmer Yowler Shin Nachwil Ain Chlown Erin. He tells me that I confuse him, that I make him sick because we have no children. This highlights the fact that Meg is in a relationship with a man who is trying to control her, yet she looks towards another man to try and save her. This is not the only historical fiction novel in which women are under the proverbial thumb of the man. It is obvious enough from the title Scale Road Irla that the main character is also male in this novel. However, as it so happens in the first chapter, we are met with mostly female characters. We realise that there were particular areas in the noble household uh, that were female only, areas where they wouldn't disrupt the work of the men. We get to know Garod's mother and the other women who were busy sewing. It is very clear to the reader that Garod's mother was a noble woman and she speaks to her husband, the Earl, in fluent French, which indicates that she was educated. However, Garod's mother is never given a name and it seems that her biggest role in the novel is to give birth to a son. There is no need for her when Garod has grown up. She and Garod have no relationship after Garod leaves with his father. Ashley Nivonica, another highly acclaimed Irish critic, mentions Gurdil Suntish e Gurib Anava or Breather Ganeha than Khadrav, either Mohar Agus Postlehi at Anish in a Renafosta. Isn't it a wonder that seldom is a mother son relationship established or continued when that child becomes an adult? The same could be said for this novel. Not only that, but we notice that it is sons, not daughters, that are born for the most part. In all of the novels I have studied, there is not one novel that captures a mother-daughter relationship. It is very obvious that women are very much in the margins of these novels, and I believe that this is the portrayal uh, of how women were, and still are maybe, in the margins of society. Having looked into this topic as only a small part of my thesis, we come to notice that all female characters in this novel rely in some form or another on a man. Uh, we are met with uh, types of feminine natures, as I mentioned in this novel, and what is meant by feminine natures, according to Nick Owen, is the understanding of female character archetypes that are common in literary works. In historical novels, the variety of these female character archetypes are quite limited. Also, it is worth noting that with most female characters, there is a greater emphasis than that on their male counterparts on sexuality and or sexual relationships. In Schaelgerod Irla, we are given account of two different women's sexual relationships with the same man. The, Gro- the Earl Garoz has an intimate relationship with both the daughter of the noble Eleanor de Butler and another woman who is not given a name, but is rather referred to as the Tavern Girl or Ineen Unvrua. A question of class distinction could be discussed here, but rather it seems to me that the role of both women is the same. So lo and behold, as the story goes, at a, around the same time a son was born of the noble woman Eleanor de Butler, around the same time another son was born in the tavern. So, pretty obvious. We notice that sons, not daughters, are born because we know that sons carry on the family name. As I mentioned, Nick Owen discusses the different understandings of feminine natures that can be found in various works of literature and various traits that they possess. 
We often see troublesome women in Irish language literature, women who create problems for the men. And I quote Terry Eagleton in his discussion on the role of women and literary theory when he says, she is sometimes what stands between man and chaos. She sometimes is the embodiment of chaos itself. This is why she troubles the neat categories of such a regime, blurring its well-defined boundaries. In the novel 1260 AD, for example, we have a situation where the woman is creating trouble for the man. We meet the character Claudette, a maid in the monastery, and Claudette is first introduced to us, flirting with the monk Owen. Owen, the monk, does not give in to temptation. He focuses on his philosophy and theology theology studies. He ignores Claudette, and as a result, she commits suicide. Despite the fact that this is very much a tragic event, no emphasis at all is put on the severity of the girl's death, but rather the trouble that it has caused for Owen with the bishop. It is common to see that the actions of women in these novels tend to lead the men astray or cause them trouble. Claudette was an attractive, chatty woman and conveyed like this by the male author on purpose because there is always a disrespect and a dislike for chatty, talkative women in Irish literature. Nick Owen mentions the com- compilation of Irish proverbs written by Pothergo Shukru and highlights the proverbs associated with the condemnation of women in particular. After reading the collection of proverbs, she concludes that this is the general consensus towards women. Uh, it's in Irish, but I'll just give you the English version. You can't give women advice. Women talk and blather on, non-stop making noise. They're as bold as pigs. It is hard to understand women. Women cannot keep secrets. There is no tongue as sharp than that of a woman's. Women don't understand life. It is evident that it is the most talkative and noisy women that cause the most trouble for men in these Irish language historical novels. In Mach Connella's novels, Ciolan Fibra and Cuga Agus Cahu, he creates similar female characters that can be classified quite simply. In the novel Ciolan Fibra, he creates two tormented sisters, each with a nickname. They are known throughout the novel as Kitty na Canov Agus Morachail, Bonebag Kitty and Narrow Mary. We often note that two particular verbal nouns are associated with these two women, those being Eg Olagon Agus Canov Sean wailing and whimpering. These women are the source of nothing but a headache for the male protagonist, Cahal O'Cealig. In Machanela's other novel, Cogagas Cahu, we see pretty much the same traits in the sisters that are featured in that novel. They are fussy, worried and whiny about most things and are of much annoyance, not only to the male characters, but to the readers. It seems also that the female characters tend to annoy the other characters and the reader more than that of their male counterparts. In a Van Og Owen, which I mentioned earlier, we see similarities in how the sisters are described in Machanela's novel and how Colonel Goring, Meg Russell's husband, describes his wife. He says that she doesn't stop sobbing and crying from morning till night. Finally, another type of female character we see in Machanela's Kuga Agus Kahu is a woman called Sheila, the half-twin of the priest Donal. She's a loose-tongued character who is not afraid to say obscene or lewd comments, both in Irish and in English. And I'll give you two examples. She says, I've hit the little bastard such a belt over the head that he won't wake up for a week. Didn't I tell you to stick your arses on chairs? We were just discussing my brother's efforts in the bed and comparing his labours to that of rams and stallions. 
and she says in Irish, but I'll give you the English version, all he wants is to sleep with her and she's deaf down in his desires. He says that she's an unnatural woman because of it and she should be taught a lesson. But I told her I'd help him throw, throw him down the stairs. This lewd talk from Sheila does not improve throughout the novel. In fact, it gets worse. Sheila's flippant comments about sex are actually a source of humour in the book and readers tend to enjoy the obscenity. In a paper written by Nick Owen titled Humorous Sexual Women, she says that the links between sex, sexuality and humour go way back in the course of literature and it seems that the author has embraced this particular idea and created another feminine nature in the character of Sheila. In the novel Crown Smola by Sean O'Dourish, the first reference of the female character Nobla is as a tiger. We are given an account of a nightmare that he, that he that the, the detective Waters is having where something was coming up from behind him, either a lion or a tiger. However, he wakes with a jump from his nightmare and says that when he looked behind him in the mirror that he saw the actual tiger, Nobla, who was in the bed with him. As the plot progresses, we come to know that the woman in the bed is a source of trouble for the main character, just like Claudette, Sheila and Meg Russell were. Nobla is a Catholic and Waters is a Protestant. This also highlights secretarian issues, something I won't be getting into tonight. Still, the female character is portrayed as a source of trouble. Not only that, it seems we only meet Nobla most of the time as she is in the middle of having sex with Detective Waters. Nobla was working as a maid in Waters' house when after a few weeks a physical relationship was established between them. Even just by looking at those examples alone, we can't but get a sense of sexism and masculine bias in Irish language historical novels. Therefore, it is worth taking a moment to talk about truth and fiction, the most important components in the creation of the genre that is historical fiction. Truth and fiction are woven together so neatly in this genre that sometimes it is difficult to separate them. As I already said, it's an old story with rust on it that women were in the margins of society. The inequality of women very, is very much a part of history and that there is the truth. But what about the fictional side of things? I suppose the question I have is that why amongst all of these 15 or so historical novels there couldn't have been at least one solid woman who wasn't lewd or complaining, at least one woman who had more depth than a saucer. Women in these novels do not get any recognition unless they're in the shadow of a man. And this is also true of the famous English language historical novel The Many Lives and Secret Sorrows of Josephine B. And it says, the many lives and secret sorrows of Josephine B. presents a historically visible woman, although only considered for her relationship with the French military leader and emperor Napoleon. Again, we must understand that this is how things were in the past, that women were oppressed, and as a result, these female characters in these historical la Irish language historical novels are constrained by history to act in particular ways. Not only that, but we also see that none of these historical novels lean in any way towards a female audience. Not that I'm saying that they should, but I believe that it is worth mentioning. So what exactly would a historical novel for women entail? According to the critic Diana Wallace, historical novels for women come from the hybrid potentialities of the Gothic novel rather than the rationality of Walter Scott, the dubbed father of the historical novel. Even more interestingly still, it is said that, the, that historical novels for women are, in fact, historical novels by women for women. 
If this is true, we could take it that the novels written by Maura Vakanti, which we discussed earlier, could perhaps uh, fall into this definition. Then again, it doesn't seem to me that these novels are written specifically for women. So has there actually been any novel directed for a female audience? It's very clear that there has not been. That being said, it doesn't mean that all of the other novels are written only for a male audience, but rather the point I'm trying to hammer home is that the narration of these Irish language historical novels is very much male-dominated. Women are often left to one side in history, and as a result of that, questions are to be asked and gaps are to be filled. Niguina also adds to this, when it comes especially to Irish language literature, there are a lot of gender issue questions to be discussed regarding topic, style and language. She asks if the outlook of men and women are different when it comes to nationalism and or the language question. Have these differences been scrutinised in works of fiction? There is no doubt that the question of gender is always interesting and that there are always aspects of that question to be inspected and teased with a fine tooth comb. The question of the role of women in Irish language historical novels could very well spark more conversation and debate regarding the role of women within history itself and in turn would place the plight of women centre stage. Uh, another uh, critic Light identifies that such a, debate, such a debate is very welcome. Taking as their subjects female subjectivity, domestic, private, public politics or the marginalisation of weaker subjects means these texts create a dissonant space in which various issues of legitimacy, authority and identity might be considered. Um, these novels giving femininity, which usually has a walk-on part in the official history of our times, the lead role in the national drama. In particular, for those who are normally left out of history altogether, such an emphasis is very welcome. As a final note, I wish to leave you all with the words written by the poet Gerold Irla, uh, the main character of Maura Vachanti's story. In this poem, he is defending women from those who oppress them, and these words I find are appropriate, not only in relation to the women in Irish language historical novels, but maybe women in general. Marig Adair Ol Krishnamanov, Vedon Egnoch Nidol Krin, Avurder Dogoriev, Dern Ahana Nihia Dohil, Bean Amrihra, Gasta Anglor, Akmarera Murmavoig, Agona Ismarig Narloch, Marig Adair Ol Krishnamanov. Speak not ill of womankind, tis no wisdom if you do, you that fault with women find, I would not be praised of you. Sweetly speaking, witty clear, tribe most lovely to my mind. Blame of women, I hate to hear. Speak not ill of womankind. Gurafila Mahagriff, thank you very much. So if anybody has any questions, I'll try and answer them. Or if anybody would like to add to the discussion or add to the topic, yeah. Uh, yes, I very much enjoyed your talk. I think I'm pretty much uh, zero about the topic as I learned a lot. Thank you for that. Um, now, um, I uh, heard the word that you used this, uh, this novel as being sexist, mm. uh, which I quite agree with you. I kind of missed 
perhaps two additional terms that would very much apply, uh, in my uh, opinion, mm-hmm. to analysis, and that's misogyny, which is stronger than sexism. Yeah, for sure. Uh, which is a sort of an underlying trait of, of the patriarchal society. Mm-hmm. So, in that sense, I also missed a little bit uh, um, a kind of maybe a little bit of a stronger condemnation of patriarchy that was yeah. the very, you know, bottom of, of such a portrayal of women. Yes. Uh, so now that said, I also would ask you whether you would consider that given the misogyny, sexism, and patriarchal portrayal of these women, that perhaps we could also look at the characters and the way they are portrayed as being uh, complaining or vulgar, that maybe this also could be seen as a form of women's agency rather than just their oppression, because definitely they are, you know, in a kind of secondary role uh, in relation to the men, but complaining women or women who use a kind of a vulgar language that's often a language reserved for men. Uh, uh, could that also be seen as uh, women trying to to take a more active role because they are being in trouble and mm-hmm. trouble troublesome women are often feared mm-hmm. as we have seen in witch hunts right those were sharp tongued women often who became the, yeah. the victims of, of the of the persecutions so could we all, uh, actually maybe also look at Absolutely, and I, I do. Absolutely, yeah, and I do delve into those feminine natures more specifically. But just in the interest of time, I kind of had to skim through everything. The majority of the secondary female characters on that list are actually quite. Um, quite weak except for the character Sheila which I mentioned everybody both male and female actually fear her because of her uh, obscene conversation and because she talks so openly about sex and things like that that uh, she sort of shocks everybody into uh, both male and female being silenced so but yeah I completely agree that you know misogyny and stronger words should definitely be used yeah thank you Sheila I've become pretty fascinated last several years on historical fiction and uh, I had never thought of the whole idea of women in it <laughs> but I'm wondering if um, that's also maybe a reflection of who we're writing for because I think of my library shelf of historical novels that my wife and my children my daughters have never picked up yeah how much I aim them to it they go yeah. maybe it's just a genre that females haven't been traditionally interested I mean this isn't a very old uh, listing of times but fairly new is this maybe are they writing to the people who are reading it well, I suppose the the main question that is, and there's a, a coined phrase called male ventriloquism. So even if it is a female writer, it's almost like she's speaking on behalf of the man. And naturally enough, it just seems like women are like, mm, I'm not really in- interested in that. I don't. I'm sick of hearing a male voice in my ear. Um, so I think that maybe perhaps for that reason alone. In the slide, I've classified one of the subgenres of historical novels as female historical romance novels, and that seems to be um, more uh, that seems to attract more of a female audience. But unfortunately, whatever sort of a block there is in the minds, in a female mind, war and action don't seem to grab her attention as much. Maybe perhaps because of the way the characters are portrayed.
it would have to go into some sort of a psychological survey to do that, which I don't have time to do at the moment. In looking back and in how people were educated and access to education, mm-hmm. it would have been traditional, I would think, that in a lot of societies that men got access to higher education. Yep. So the consequences, I would assume, of that was that that's, that went through life. Uh, women would not have had uh, either the resources or the access to write or to public. Mm-hmm. But to extend that, if I look back at characters, be it the likes of a Matahari or a Cleopatra, or someone that were strong focal points within society or within their, their historic times, aside from having that strength of character, in an awful lot of ways, weak males would equally be as bland as weak females mm-hmm. when it would come to writing. Yeah. So I would argue, uh, question, is it that women did not get the opportunity to define themselves adequately within society, not just Irish and Irish language, mm-hmm. but within society, be it Europe, be it North America, be it Asia, where they, um, they became hero models? Yeah, very possibly. And I suppose what summarizes all of this for me is that particular quote that women were constrained by history to act in particular ways. And as you said, with, without access to education and things like that, that made them secondary characters in real life. Does that answer your question? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, that's, that's essentially what I mean, that often they didn't have a choice. And historical, historical fiction is... A combination of both truth and fiction and for it to be specifically within the genre of historical fiction you have to adhere to some to, to facts quite quite frequently so and another very interesting thing is in my definition of historical novels the main character uh, can, uh, the, the real main character of history can only be in the background so, for example, if I was to write a story about Cleopatra, she couldn't be the main character of my historical novel. For it to be a historical novel, she has to be in the background. So, that's another point of consternation, maybe. Would it not then be a case of that an awful lot of what we're very influential women were so far in the background that we really don't think about? And that's it. Absolutely. For sure, for sure. And, there's, and that's, it really seems to me that the exact same way that there's a lack of female characters, there's a lack of female authors and I think if, there, if that was to grow and grow, well then obviously they would pull and draw from those background characters, definitely uh, I'm quite surprised to see that there is more of a redeeming role in women in these historical novels and there's such an accurate you can be put into the redeeming figure of the woman and um, my question was uh, you mentioned that uh, mostly oh, maybe one of the explanations why these women had secondary roles if not uh, very vague or, or very little roles in the novel because in that time they didn't have necessarily education or they didn't necessarily have um, enough status to be important in the, in the story in which we're uh, uh, in the historic situation. But I was wondering if in the list of the novels that you're studying, um, there is a, a relation, there is a, some sort, because when you're writing a historical novel, you need to 
uh, verified sources, uh, and see. And I was wondering if there's any documentation um, that also uh, helps that explanation. Meaning, if the the authors have done some secondary research, if they put that research in front, are there any notes inside the book? Are there any? Um, is there a, a preface or a plot space that explains? Yeah, so especially if you take um, the novel Fontenoy, for example, so the author Liam McCall flew to France and uh, basically travelled around all of the libraries gathering primary sources. As he says in in the preface of the book, every account was written by a man. It was about the Battle of Fontenoy. That's why there is absolutely, there's no woman is mentioned. So in his primary uh, research, he didn't, he didn't feel the need to, to search for a female voice because it didn't apply. That's, that's pretty much why. But can we do the same kind of work like history check? All of those, pretty much. Um, one thing I found is that all uh, Irish language historical uh, novelists are, are very, very committed to their facts. So, for example, Sgeil Gerodirla is about the Earl Gerald, and uh, Mar Vachanthi is from that area where, where, he's, he, where Gerald is from, and she gathers all the stories from him. So, basically, she's thinking, she's using that male ventriloquist um, action as well. Uh, what other one? Fardona, so it's basically about um, uh, the male character is a bard, so there was no female bards allowed. Uh, in the 13th, 14th century, so that's pretty much why, because their their research is about a period where all of these male characters, with because of their uh, high status roles, soldiers, priests, etc., that's that that's their research. So would you say um, that since uh, some from feminine figures of history uh, having been as much research on or some events having been researched on uh, in depth or concerning women mm-hmm. for example since there is um, in the French the word lecturing you know there's a there's a whole but you know there's something missing mm-hmm. in the research concerning women yeah. and history that's why it reflects in the novel as well because since you've been checking all these facts and nothing um, concerning women really appears is that why it's not present in fiction is because it's not present um, not always present or as much present in the in history exactly and I, I think maybe if because what defines a historical novel has to be prior to the author's lifespan okay so if I was to fast forward 100 years ago or 100 years forward um, maybe you could see historical novels writing about suffragette movement more, uh, the 60s, you know, all of those sort of civil rights movements where there would be more of an emphasis on these female roles. But just because prior to all of these uh, novelists' lifespan, it's very much, according to fact, uh, a male society. I find it hard to believe that there were no strong, interesting Irish women. Oh, there were plenty. And, and, um, there still are. <laughs> what, what I hear you saying is you're talking about a genre, as we know, literature always indicates other literature. Yeah. Yourself sitting down to write a historical novel. What woman would you? Oh, Grania Moyle, the Pirate Queen. 
Yes. Yeah, for uh, sure. But I couldn't, I couldn't use her as my main character. She'd always have to be in the background. So what the historical novelists essentially have to do is create a fictional character, yes. a fictional female character that is as strong as the likes of Grania Moyle or Queen Maeve or, or one of those characters. I mean, even if, if 1916 is still too, still quite new. You know, you could look at Margaret Skinner, the super assault rifler for the 1916 Rising, uh, Countess Markievicz, all of those people, all of those women were as good, if not better, than their male counterparts. I, I hope that you given this experience that you're actually tempted to write myself. Well... Maybe. I would love to see that come to fruition. Well, maybe the historical novels are bluffers as well. Who knows? <laughs> why do you think um, a main historical character has to be in the background and not in the foreground? That's according to um, George Lukacs. So my, my two main um, go-to guys are, unfortunately guys, uh, Jerome de Groot and George Lukacs. And according to their, de- their definitions of historical novels, um, the dominance of a uh, real historical personage has to be in the background. Is that because of the, um, the uh, demands of historicity? No, Absolutely. Why yeah. does that have to be so important? Uh, well, I presume that it doesn't make a historical nav- novel as bland as a history book. Why does the definition of that particular critic have to dominate yes. what people today want to want to create in terms of a historical novel. For me writing research I have to I have to draw the line somewhere. I have to draw the line somewhere, yeah. 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 But imagine a historical novel quite easily where you know uh, where a prominent historical person about whom we know an awful lot is completely redefined and re uh, and re calibrated, if you like, for, for a modern audience. And why not? But I agree with you, but I can imagine if I was to write a story, for example, about the pirate queen Gronium Whale, uh, my imagination would be numbed by the research and facts that I'm doing. That is the point as well. I think you elucidate if possible. Uh, you, uh, which I, I didn't quite catch. Um, why, what was the reference to, um, 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 to uh, the, the two types of historical novel, the, uh, the Scott version of the sort of Gothic. Are you saying that the novels that you've been reading were more akin to the Gothic novel? Well, no, I'm just saying that historical novels kind of stemmed from a Gothic novel, essentially. So prior to Walter Scott. Is that because of the, of the position of the woman in Gothic novels? Perhaps. Yeah. So, if you say that the character um, in the start of the female is to be the hero, literally has to be in the background, is there not the reality of the day that they're overshadowed by the primary character? But if the primary character is a female, no problem. Yes. So then it does mean that you, you have to create another fictional yes. character yes. in order to give a platform to your 
I, I really think that it would give it more of a pedestal than if I was like even take for example two different scenarios if I had a fictional female character and Gronium Wade in the background mm-hmm. if I had a fictional female character and Cromwell in the background if I had a fictional male character and Cromwell in the background I think the second scenario with the fictional female character and a real life pers- historical personage would uh, almost accelerate um, that the, the place and of, of the female character and the role of, of women. There is a, a movement to have the historical character actually be the boy. Okay. That's moving forward. Mm-hmm. But that's fairly recent. Yeah. In the past few years. So that many of these would have even been written before that date. Um, and also, not going as far back, but that's sort of the new movement that's coming through, putting the voice of the actual historical, historical figure telling the story. Yes. And, and, but that creates a problem because I could write a story using a particular historical figure, but that opens up to away from the genre of, of literature or, or literature itself, and it moves into people. Uh, coming on the sidelines, sniffing at my heels, saying, well, that's not accurate. Yeah. Because you put them in a situation that could never occur. Yeah. So the novel can get bogged down mm-hmm. by outside criticism. Exactly. And, that, and that, that would give it like a memoir feel as well, yes. you know. So that was, um, I mean, that was all done back in the 1920s. And I thought the gas and the rest of it. But the way out, the, the, the rabbit hole out of that problem, really, is that you don't really know so much about the main historical character as you would like to know. So you can imagine an awful lot. Yeah. Um, concerning the fact that uh, it has to be um, a character that is not the main historic character, but a character in the background, as um, I just mentioned, uh, recently we've been imagining the more the psychological side of a, a very known historic figure um, and planning into that. Would that be a possibility as well if we think of Athenian's vision of like reality? Uh, Truth in art, and uh, and uh, you know what what is the truth that we have to conserve uh, when we are writing his, uh, historical fiction? Uh, would that be an alternative to incorporate women a bit more? In, uh, to use a psychological side of yeah, narration, exactly. yeah, very possibly. Exactly, because when we don't have necessarily the documentation telling us that we can uh, we can dwell a bit more into the fictional side mm-hmm. of the historical. Yeah, well, what I would I would think would be quite an interesting idea is if there was like a pen name, like a very neutral, not a male or female uh, pen name that the author used and then wrote the historical novel and then see what sort of a, a voice people can take from that. that. That would maybe be an interesting angle to take instead of, you know, you if you were to read uh, a historical novel like that with the t- title Fontenoy, it automatically screams, you know, battle, warfare, and then the author is a male, Liam McCole. You already have some sort of, like, almost... Just stereotype maybe like bias towards what it's going to entail and for the most part whatever you're thinking is true it's a very much uh, guy's novel I still that there wouldn't be contemporary 
women writers in Irish literature who challenge this canon. Mm-hmm. If you look at other literary canons, you know, there is just so much evidence in other literatures where women writers go and find a sort of ex- heavy existed kind of historical character, but uh, uh, a woman about whom not much has been written, and then make it a real historical character by mm-hmm. adding this whole old fictional, you know, yeah. um, body to it, yeah. and thus recreating the narrative. So how come there is no such attempt? To be honest, these there has, as I said, very little extensive research done, number one, on Irish language historical fiction, and number two, on the role of women within that genre. And this is only literally not even a chapter, but uh, pretty much a paragraph in one chapter of my thesis. So if I could go and spread the gospel all around, hopefully it would spark an idea in somebody, and they might say, you know what, actually, maybe we need to challenge this and, and go out there and, and break that barrier. So that's, that's probably why. You project it forward. Projecting forward then again to the future would be reasonable to conclude that because women now play a much more prominent role, particularly in journalism, mm-hmm. that the seeds of an historical work come from somebody's experience and that the use of that experience then translates into fiction. So that because more women are now in the line of battle or reporting on battle, reporting on politics, reporting on sport, that excuse me, the consequences or the result of that will be. 100%. Completely agree. Is, is there a danger of that becoming the male ventriloquist again? Well, it's. on the television, for instance, in a war zone. I'm thinking of these two sets. He was actually giving a talk at this very moment in the war museum. Anybody said it? Quick, we'll all rush yeah. over. But, uh, yes, no. <laughs> she comes over very much as the male ventriloquist, in my, in my view. Okay. I love that phrase. Mm. Uh, I can't say I've heard of her. Yeah. All right, well, uh, have any other, any other questions for if, um, if not, I'd just like to uh, thank you. Uh, thank you, Paul. Thank you for coming. <laughs>